what will you do today? How will you spend your time? I'm grateful that you've chosen to at least spend part of your time here with us today. We're really grateful to have uh, so many of you here. We appreciate, as Matt's already said, the Madison Academy football team and their families joining us here today. We have other guests and we've had a chance to interact with already. But the question again is, what, what will you do today? How will you spend your time? And, it, and it's fairly uh, sobering to think about the ways that we spend our time. As we just heard, we'll spend the equivalent of over 8,000 days of our lives sleeping. We'll spend over 1,600 days eating, drinking, and preparing food. I know in just a few moments we'll spend a little time eating some food that's been prepared already for us. Nearly 1,100 days spent traveling, commuting, and then this was the most sobering statistic that I heard, over 2,600 days spent watching television. Wow. But what about the time that's, that's left? How will you and I choose to spend that time? Or maybe it's not about spending that time. Maybe it's, it's more like what the best-selling author Stephen Covey says. It's, it's more about investing that time rather than trying to spend it. This month, throughout the month of August, we've been talking about this in one way or another. We've been talking about what it means for us to be intentional about our influence. And so all month long, we've, we've really just been trying to, to say simply this. We want to capitalize on the opportunities that we have, opportunities that we as people of faith believe that God brings to us every single day. We have an opportunity to make an eternal difference. And oftentimes, what what really kind of determines whether or not we seize those opportunities is just something as simple as having the eyes to see and the ears to hear, as Jesus says. And for those of you who are here when we began that series, you'll remember that in the very beginning we said that according to, to the data, that the average American will influence somewhere in the neighborhood of 10,000 people over the course of his or her lifetime. 10,000 people that will influence without even really trying, that's, that's accidentally, will influence that many people. But the question that we followed up with is one that I, I would still put to you today as we wrap up this series. What would happen if we were just a little more intentional? With just a little more intentionality, would that number grow? Or even if the number remained the same, with a little bit of intentionality, would those indirect relationships, those people over whom maybe we have just a very mild level of positive influence, with a little bit of intentionality, would God take those relationships to an even deeper level? Would the opportunity increase for us to be able to have a positive impact in the relationships we have? And so that's what we've been talking about together over the last several weeks, and we finish up that series here today. And all of this is really just an attempt for us to, to live into the words that we hear from Jesus, words that come from Matthew 5 and the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus says, quite simply, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, Jesus says, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. And so in the same way, Jesus says, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So Jesus calls us to be the light of the world, and we've been talking about that for, for several weeks now. He says that he's, he's calling us to go and illuminate those spheres of existence. And so we've talked about what it means for us to be intentional about our influence in, in, in the schools that we attend, or in the workplace, or even last week as we talked about in our homes 
And Jesus has a good word for us here before we turn the page and move on. He, he says that when we do this, when we live as the light of the world, that all of that culminates in a great place. He says that the Father in heaven receives glory, that, that our Father in heaven receives the praise from those good deeds. And that's an important word because, because it would be easy for us to think that maybe the message is for us to leverage our influence, to, to be a positive influence in the world. And then when the accolades start coming in, we just sort of rest on our laurels and say, well, yeah, that, I'm a pretty great person, right? God's really lucky to have me on his team, right? And Jesus says, no, that's not the, that's not the point. Rather, when you do this, the, the, the best outcome of all is that your Father in heaven receives the praise and the glory and the honor he is due when people see your light shining for Jesus Christ. And so all month long, we've used this icon of the light bulb. We've, we've used that as kind of a way to represent what we're getting at. And it's a helpful image because we all understand this. The light bulb itself is not the source of light, right? No, the, the source of, of light is the the energy, the electricity that comes flowing through that light bulb. The light bulb simply does what it was created to do. It reflects that light. And, and all of that energy and the electricity, it interacts there with the, the filament and the glass. And, it, and, and it, it's used in a, in a powerful way to light up even a dark room. We turned off the lights in this room and had a single light bulb on stage. And all of our eyes were just drawn to that because that's the power of the light. But we understand that the light bulb is not the source of that light. No, it's just called to reflect it. And so in much the same way, we understand that when Jesus calls us to be the light of the world, he's not saying that we're the source of that light. No, we, we have to read this teaching. We have to put it together with what Jesus says elsewhere. In John's gospel, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So Jesus, which one is it? Are we the light of the world or are you the light of the world? And Jesus says, yes. <laughs> Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And so we understand that in any sense that, that we could possibly be the light of the world in the way that he calls us to in the Sermon on the Mount, it only comes in light of this truth, that Jesus first and foremost is the light of the world. And that just as that light bulb, just, it, it, it does what, God, what, what we've created it to do, it, it, it demonstrates that light, it, it lights up dark spaces, so too do we become the light of the world when we follow Christ. When we live into this truth, where Jesus tells us that we are the light of the world only because he is first and foremost the light of the world. The scientific term for this is albedo. Albedo is the, a measurement of the, the, the light that a planet, uh, a moon might receive. It's the measurement of the, the degree to which that light, that sunlight is reflected back out into the cosmos. And so some of you, you know, some of you who work at NASA or whatever, you can probably speak to this much better than I can, but, but it sounds as if the, the albedo is just basically a way of saying the degree to which a moon or a planet reflects the sunlight it receives. So in our solar system, the planet Venus has the highest level of albedo, the highest average albedo at 0.65. That's just a way of saying that 65% of the light that Venus receives from the sun, it reflects 65% of that light back out into the cosmos. And to a much smaller degree, you look at, at our moon that circles this planet, 
it has an average albedo of somewhere around 0.12. So only 12% of the sunlight the moon receives is reflected back out into the cosmos. And yet, even at such a small percentage, isn't it, isn't it amazing that the moon is still bright enough to be the light of the world for us on a dark, dark night? On a clear night, that moon, even though it reflects not the fullness of the light that it receives, it's still bright enough for us to find our way home. And in much the same way, we are called to make a difference in the world to be intentional about our influence to this degree by reflecting the light of Christ. That's how we become the light of the world, by reflecting his light, because he is the light of the world. And so again, we don't produce this light, we merely reflect it. We are responsible for that spiritual albedo, responsible for reflecting the light of Jesus Christ. And that's at least part of what Jesus seems to be getting at with the, these light of the world teachings. But Jesus takes things a step further. That would be one sermon in and of itself, that we are called to reflect the light of Christ. But, but Jesus takes this further. In these passages that we've read, he doesn't merely call us to reflect his light, although he surely intends for us to do so. But rather, Jesus leans in here, and he has a word for us that's really important, a first word, a word about our identity. Jesus leans in and he speaks this word directly to our hearts when he says, listen to it again, you are the light of the world. Now listen, Jesus doesn't just teach us about what to do, although Jesus has plenty to say about what to do. In the Sermon on the Mount, in John's Gospel, both of these places we're looking at, Jesus has plenty to say about what we are to do, Okay. But for all of those places, and he tells us that we're, we're called to do this or do that or don't do this, and this is not a way to reflect my light, and this is a way to reflect that light, and all of that, Jesus begins, though, with this word, a word of identity. He tells us who we are before he tells us what we are to do. And that is really important. Because Jesus came not just to give us a set of laws to govern our behavior, Jesus is not interested merely in behavior modification. Jesus is interested in heart transformation. And he wants to get at the core of who you are and who I am, at the, at the very core of my being. And Jesus wants to lean in and speak this word and tell us, here's who you are in me, in Christ. This is your identity. You are the light of the world. And that message is carried throughout the scriptures and so many other places. The word of God speaks this truth into our hearts. Another such place is in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5. This is the word of the Lord. For you were once darkness, but now, now you are light in the Lord. So live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. 
For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. That, this is why it is said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. This is the word of the Lord. To make the most of every opportunity is to redeem the time. In Grandma's Bible, in the King James Version, it has that phrase, and I love it, redeem the time, because it is so rich with meaning for us. Time is our most precious commodity, isn't it? For many of us, it is easier to write a check and to contribute it than it is to give of our time. If you go to the Amazon bookstore right now and you search for time management, you'll find 34,000 titles in that Amazon bookstore on time management, which is so ironic, isn't it? Because if you took the time to even read a portion of those, you would not be managing your time very well, we would say. There are so many apps, dozens of apps you can get for your smartphone, for your device that will, that, that will help you be more efficient, to develop healthier habits. This seems as if it's one of those verses, make the most of every opportunity. This is one of those biblical truths that everyone, everyone is eager to live by, Christian or otherwise. But, but that comes at the end of this teaching. That comes at the tail end here. And before we can really get into that and what that means for us, we need to hear what comes first. Before we get into all the doing, we need to hear the first word. Because the, the gospel's first word is a word of being. At the beginning of that text, the word says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And to experience the good news of Jesus is to make this pilgrimage, to be transferred from this kingdom of darkness into this kingdom of light. And, and in just a few moments, as we gather around the table, we will do just that. We will remember and we will give thanks and we will celebrate together the fact that God has seen fit to do this through Christ Jesus. But at the same time, it's not just about that transference from one realm to another. No, at the heart of the gospel, there's more about it's, it's less about transferring and more about transformation. That comes first. The transferring only happens after God does his work on the inside. So again, Jesus came to write his law upon our heart. Jesus came to give us that new heart that God always promised in his word. And so to be transferred from that kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light is to be transformed at a core level, at the heart level. And again, this is who God says we are. We once were darkness, but now we are light in the Lord. Because being always comes before doing. We can only act once we recognize our identity. And the first word of the gospel is a word about our being, about who we are. And that cuts deep. It's so much easier to keep the level at the conversation of what you do, right? How many people have you met before? And you reach out, you shake hands, you go, hey, I'm Jason. Oh, what do you do for a living? Well, I'm, I'm a minister. What do you do for a living? And we, and we keep the conversation there. And it's, it's a little safer because we're talking about activity. We're talking about stuff that we do. But when we get deep into who we are, 
That's where those fig leaves come into play. And we want to kind of cover up certain portions of our lives. And we don't want to reveal too much about that being, but the gospel shines a light right there and says, no, you were darkness. Now you're light in the Lord. Because being comes before doing and identity precedes activity. So two weeks ago, Sonny and I celebrated our 18th wedding anniversary. Yes, she's put up with me for 18 years. We are registered at Amazon and Target. If you, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> if you want, you want to see a picture, um, this is us 18 years ago. Wow, right? Um, that picture, I look at it and I'm like, I can barely remember being that young man. I mean, I can remember it, but just kind of barely. So we joked when we were uh, celebrating our anniversary, eating dinner and stuff, we said, wow, our marriage is like an adult now. You know, it's 18 years old. That's kind of, a, kind of significant, you know? Uh, and so I, you know, I, I look at that and, and I, I think back, and it brings back so many, so many memories. I love that picture for a lot of reasons. One of them is because we, we took that picture at the Mount Juliet Church of Christ where we were married, and probably 20 minutes after we set our wedding vows. We were set up right by this window with this beautiful ambient light. And you can see the light is hitting sunny. And half of my face is like in the dark. And maybe that was by design, you know, maybe hide part of him. And, but I love it because it reminds me about that spiritual albedo we were talking about. And 18 years in, I've just been fortunate to, to see the reflection of the true light of the world in this woman who has made me such a better man because of it. And I look at that and I see that, even though I see youthfulness and I see optimism, I see joy, I also see now, 18 years in, that reflection of the light of the Lord, and I'm grateful. And so we did what many of you did. We stood on a stage like this and had all of our friends flanking us, and we had all of our loved ones in the crowd, and before all of those witnesses and the great cloud of witnesses beyond, we made some covenant promises, and on the basis of those covenant promises, I received a new identity. I was given a title, I was given an identity as a husband. It was a new identity. I didn't have that identity before. And, and I have the proof. I have the ring to prove it, right? I have the pictures to prove it. I have the wife to prove it. I was given a new identity. I was right there when the preacher said, I now pronounce you husband and wife. And so we left that space as something new. I was given a new identity. I was a husband. Now, learning how to be a husband... That took a little bit of time, right? Sonny might say not long enough. It's still taking some time to learn. But there, what I'm getting at is I, I was given this title and this identity. Then I had to learn how to live it out. And at first, I, I, didn't, have a, I didn't have a handle on the best way to go about loving her. And so, so we, would, we went through the same kind of growing pains that every young couple goes through. And so I would do little things that would just kind of aggravate her. Uh, not on purpose. I just didn't know. And so I, you know, I would finish a meal. I would take my dishes. I would put them in the sink. I didn't know that that really aggravated her, you know. And so two, three weeks, two or three months, I don't know how long it was, but a conversation emerged. An opportunity presented itself for Sonny to say, you know, the dishwasher is like right here. You know, the sink to here, it's really not that far, you know? Before we were married, I would come in and at the end of the day, I would take my clothes off, just leave them on the floor and go change and go outside and run or play basketball or do whatever. And I think, oh, I'll get to those eventually. I'll eventually put them in the dirty clothes hamper. I had to learn. 
the best way to love my wife was to keep things neat and clean because that's the way she likes things to be. Those are little things, right? I had to learn some more important things too, like how to give her space when I'd said something or done something that really hurt her feelings. I had to learn that the right words spoken in the wrong tone are still the wrong words. Still learning that from time to time. I had so much that I had to learn about being a husband. But here's the thing. All of those things that I needed to learn, all those things that I probably still need to learn, guess what? It never negates my identity because for 18 years, I've been that husband. For 18 years, I've had the ring and the pictures and the wife to prove it. For 18 years, I'm remembering he pronounced us husband and wife. And even though my doing had to come along, even though my activity had to kind of catch up with my identity, it never negated the fact that I had this new God-given identity. And so now, 18 years in, I can look and say, you know, I'm not a finished product, but I know how to be a better husband today. I know, I know better how to live into that calling and that identity today than I did 18 years ago, and for that I give thanks. And if God gives us 18 more years, I hope to be able to say the same thing. That we're not a finished product, but that the doing is only in line with the being. See, the gospel declaration is that you're someone else because of Jesus. Because of your relationship with Jesus Christ, you've become someone new. And all subsequent activity just flows out of this transformed identity this process of becoming who God has already declared us to be. But we have to deal with this. You were once darkness. That contrast is significant because this too is a statement of identity, not just activity. The word doesn't simply say you were once walking in darkness and as bad as that would be, we would find that to be preferable to what it actually says. But when it actually says you were once darkness, should get our attention puts things in perspective doesn't it so if I were to ask you who is the villain in the biblical story what would you say in the Bible who's the bad guy you would say well most people no matter how conversant they might be with the Bible most people I think would say well uh, Satan the devil Seems like a good answer right and to be fair the, the Bible paints him in those those terms, there's lots of adversarial language used to describe Satan. But if we're reading this properly, if we're hearing this word from God in the right way, then according to the word of God, he's not the only one. According to the word of God, we were once darkness. Again, not just walking in darkness, not just living in darkness, not going through a dark period of our lives, we were darkness. And that's an uncomfortable truth for us to hear, but it means that we, too, are the villains of the story. We are the darkness that is consuming the world. And in our rush to get to the good news, I think we overlook this. In our rush to get to the good news... I think we completely bypass sometimes the bad news that actually makes the good news the good news. So we need to absorb this truth. 
Because I don't know about you, it's so easy for me to speak of darkness as being out there. Darkness is something that's out there in the world, and as the word says, the days are evil, right? And so we look around at the world we live in, the news stories keep flooding in, we're reminded at every turn, boy, the days are dark, and so it's easy to think of darkness and evil as being out there. We also need to recognize the enormity of this truth. The darkness consuming the world can also be right here. It could be me and you. We were the darkness. We're also the villains in the biblical story. And that moment gives, that truth gives this moment enormous gravity. Because we're forced to wrestle with and recognize the enormity of our own sin. And if there's good news to be found here, it starts here, that that the gospel is for villains like you and me. Because each one of us put Christ on that cross. But that's where something, that's where something glorious begins to happen, because it is is by virtue of a covenant relationship with, with Jesus that we too are given a new identity. A new identity that we celebrate and remember even now because he says you are light in the Lord. Wow. Don't just rush past that truth. I know we have a lot of other things to get to. You were once darkness. I was darkness. I wasn't just walking in darkness. I wasn't just living in darkness. I was the darkness. But God saw fit to make me something else, to make me now light in the Lord. And I think that gives incredible weight to what we're about to do. Because we recognize, don't we, that we did not deserve this, this grace that we remember in this moment. And yet, and yet, he bids us to come to the table nonetheless.